So let's talk about what happened uh, when I visited uh, Vietnam. So <clears throat> I've been to Vietnam a couple times on business and uh, with the MVAC. And when I was there the first time, I said, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be back to Vietnam. While I'm here, I have to go see the Hanoi Hilton. Now, the Hanoi Hilton, I mean, the Hilton is uh, obviously used um, sarcastically if, at best, um, but that was a POW camp during Vietnam and, uh, had, um, you know, the whole camp isn't, isn't, uh, still there. The only thing that's really there are the main buildings that were built, uh, ironically way before the Vietnam war. So, uh, and, and amazingly, most people don't know that the, the Hanoi, uh, POW camp where, and, and it was made famous because, Senator John McCain was, uh, he was uh, a POW there in the Hanoi Hilton for uh, five years, but there were a lot of other soldiers, but he's, he's kind of the, the most famous one because he became a U.S. Senator and uh, presidential candidate and everything else. So, but the horrors that he describes along with uh, many others, uh, I was actually able to see kind of where some of those happened. And I'll tell you what, the Hanoi Hilton uh, just in walking up to the front gate uh, gives you a feeling of dread and darkness and uh, just evil. And it's still there. You know, we're what, 50, 60 years later, we're, we're, it still feels like that. And it, it was just, ah, man, how do you describe this? Um, it's kind of dank and dark and you walk into these front areas and, it, you know, obviously it's a prison. So uh, it has to have, you know, really thick doors and lots of uh, gates and uh, maze almost that you have to go through. But as you start the tour, uh, one of the first places you go to is kind of the barracks of where a lot of the, the soldiers that were over the POWs lived. And, and then there was an outer wall. And this outer wall, the, the thing that was most striking to me about it wasn't necessarily the height. I don't know. It looked like maybe 10 feet tall. But on the top of it was all this crushed glass, like lots of broken glass bottles and things that were, that were cemented into the top of it. So if you ever, and then there was lots of concertina wire and stuff on top of that. So even if some of these POWs had ever uh, gotten the strength to escape their, their, uh, you know, wherever the, they were being held, um, even if it was just a, a, a bamboo hut, you know, that alone would have taken a lot of, lot of energy, um, and a lot of noise. So to, but to be able to do that and then get to one of these walls, they would have had, have some means of climbing over this without being literally cut to shreds by these glass bottles and the feeling of hopelessness that I felt now, I mean, again, this is just a tour, but the feeling of hopelessness that I felt just from looking at that wall was incredible. And so 
I, I can imagine how bad it would have been to actually know that you were a POW there and you, you have no idea. I knew that within an hour or two, I was going to leave that place and I was going to go back to uh, my life there. Well, um, and, you know, back to business and be able to go back to my hotel room and, you know, hot tub and whatever else I was doing that day. Well, you know, the feeling of hopelessness that was, that, that, that occurred just with that wall. And then you go into this other building and um, I think that was one of the original buildings. So let me backtrack a little bit. So again, most people don't know that the Vietnam, Vietnamese people and the, the soldiers did not build the Hanoi Hilton for, to, to, to keep American soldiers during the Vietnam War. It was actually built by the French when they were, um, uh, I, I guess, Vietnam was a colony of France uh, way back when. And they had built this prison for people that uh, wouldn't be controlled by the French government. And so it was literally kind of like a torture area for, for compliance. And again, that refers back to the weak leadership. Uh, you know, when you literally have to torture uh, people in order to, to get compliance, then, you know, that's a problem. So af after the wall, you go into this big room and uh, how, do you, how do you describe it? It's probably... Um, maybe a hundred feet, uh, 80 feet long and say 30, 40 feet wide. And along, along both sides are these, um, areas that are, are basically, I don't know, probably six feet wide. And at the bottom, you know, more, more toward the center of each of these. And again, if you're watching the video, then, um, I'm going to be putting in a bunch of pictures and things like this. Uh, so, so you'll get a better idea. So definitely go, go visit the video if you get a chance, uh, and subscribe by the way, hope, hopefully, um, uh, it'll be interesting enough to you and you anticipate future videos because they're coming. Um, but they're, they're, they shackled the prisoners by their, by their ankles all along the, the inside portion of this, uh, this bed. And they were every about, about every foot, it seemed. Uh, so they could cram a ton of people in, uh, you know, prisoners in this. And what, what would happen is they would, they would just lock down one ankle. So one ankle would be locked down and, but that would, that would allow the, um, the prisoner at least to roll over on their side. And so they could, they could sit there long-term. And then at the very uh, end of the room was like these stools and it was over kind of a slanted area that, um, that was the latrine. And so, uh, when people, you know, when the prisoners needed to, to relieve themselves, they would just go and it was just kind of an open latrine, you know, in front of everybody. I mean, I'm sure as a POW, you know, they knew each other enough that, you know, nobody really cared, but the bottom line is there was zero dignity to this place. And also they were crammed in there together. And so I'm sure, especially in the, in the hot Vietnam summers, they were just, you know, it was just unbearably hot in there. They're probably, you know, sweating all crammed in there. You know, the body, the body heat that they're all putting off is just keeping the, the room even hotter. And I, I ugh, just absolutely miserable experience, but at least in that room, they only had one 
ankle lockdown so that you could roll over on one side or another. Um, and there was enough room that they could lay down. You know, I mean, unless you're like seven feet tall, you could probably lay down and, uh, and be able to sleep some. Well, all the day long, all the night long, they were allowed to get out three times every day, just for exercise, for food, and for shower. And in the three times given by the French, they got to use the two toilets. You see that? They put toilets inside this room, so it was smelly all the time. In winters, it was very cold. They closed, and they opened all windows. And in summers, it was very hot and humid. They closed them all. Yeah. And see, also, my hair is not one left in the train, but me and the other one, uh, another one, yeah, got two. Because he was conscious of very dangerous terrorism under the French might. But for the people, he was a little, he was on different sides of life. Now you take photos of that. leave some well um from there so that that was kind of the main room and then from there there were these little isolation area you know really small a lot smaller rooms that uh they obviously used for problem prisoners and then there was one room in particular that um this room was absolutely incredible and whoever thought this up uh I swear has to be burning in hell because that person's mind has to be so warped to think about this. So <clears throat> let me try to describe this room. It's a relatively small, it's like a, um, almost like a rectangle type room, uh, where the, it was maybe six, eight feet wide. And, uh, it was about, I want to say, uh, five feet maybe four and a half, five feet deep. Okay. So even somebody short would still suffer in this room. Now, the reason I say that is because it was actually slanted this way. So the, the, the doors right here. And um, so imagine the doors in the front and then the, the place where the prisoner would be again, it had, it had these ankle shackles right really close to the door. And then the rather than a, a, a flat area, it actually sloped down. And so um, if you were if you were put into this room and both your ankles were shackled, that, that was a key. Both ankles were shackled down. So you were you were locked in basically. I, I'm sure there were some ways that you could adjust, but it was kind of a double whammy with both with both ankles locked in. Um, it would be really hard to uh, roll over onto one side or another. Also, the room was shallow enough that even if you were to lay back, first of all, you're laying back with your head down, so all the blood is going to rush to your head. And then the room is short enough that if you were laying down your head would hit the back of the, of the wall. So that I, I think even a, even a prisoner that was maybe five feet tall, uh, they would not be able to lay their head down completely. And if you, you know, I'm six, one, and I kind of got in there a little bit and I'll tell you what, 
uh, probably from my shoulders up would have been against this wall. And so I would have, if I were to ever be put into one of those, which a lot, I'm sure lots of American men were, you know, during the Vietnam war and who knows, maybe John McCain was, but the bottom line is, um, there's no way you could ever get comfortable enough to probably sleep at all in that room because you're laying down the blood's rushing to your head. And even if you were able to kind of roll over onto your side, uh, it's uh, anyway, it's just the, the torture, it's a simple room, but the torture of that room would be just so incredible. Uh, it's just hard to fathom how you could, again, how do you do something like that to another human being? You, you, you have to look at them as if they're not even human because, you know, they're like worse than a dog. And it's just, again, <laughs> it's difficult for me to, to understand, uh, very difficult for me to explain. And, um, yeah, this is just bringing up all sorts of memories. It's just absolutely incredible, but okay. So from there, uh, we actually go into the torture and like the execution room. And then in there, there were all sorts of, uh, machines, including a guillotine. And so there, you know, you got the French. So when the French abandoned, uh, this, this prison, they obviously left a lot of these torture devices that they had conjured up. And, you know, I, I mean, it, it's not like the, the, you know, the Spanish inquisition or anything like that, where you have racks and things, but there were some there, you know, there was, there were a number of, um, of kind of like torture tables and, you know, spikes and things like that. And so I'm sure they were able to inflict a lot of pain on people. And I, and I'm sure like, you know, uh, John McCain was never able to raise his shoulders or raise his arms above his shoulder level. And that was all because, you know, they had literally broken his shoulders. And I'm sure, you know, it, it well, I, I'm not sure of anything, but uh, it very well could have happened in that room and uh, that, you know, that torture room. So that was kind of all in one building. And yeah, what a, what a wonderful, glorious place. You know, then it, then it kind of went into um, different ways that, through the ages and, and both Vietnamese and American POWs had uh, tried to escape this, um, this prison. So, um, but as a whole, um, you know, uh, I, I, I also toured the Vietnam Memorial uh, building there, which was probably some of the most uh, amazing propaganda I've ever seen, you know, where uh, the communists, you know, when they took over Vietnam, Clearly, they wanted to make it so that the American aggressor and, you know, that was the, the entire cause of the entire war. So, um, but that was, yeah, that was uh, fairly depressing as well. But just trying, just going through that prison was just staggering. And so it gave me a little bit of a perspective of, I'm sure, what some of the, um, the, the Holocaust was like, you know, other than killing 6 million, uh, of, of the Jewish people. Um, I, there was an amazing amount of torture and all sorts of issues going on there as well. And that's again, how you reach that level of evil, uh, is through 
you know, for normal people that are, that are not like serial killer crazy types, uh, it has to take such an amazing amount of propaganda and mind shifting and, um, coercion, you know, all sorts of, of evil ways to manipulate people in order to think that they are actually doing something that is justified is just, just absolutely incredible. So how does all of this affect us today? And, and where, do, where does this relate really with all things crime? Well, if you think about the manipulation that Hitler was doing at the same time, the appeasement that Chamberlain and other uh, world leaders were, were doing, you know, that creates kind of the perfect storm to enable him. And, and this, if you, if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, this is kind of the, uh, the third level of evil that I'm talking about here. Well, if you look at some of the things that's happening a lot, it, there are a number of parallels that are happening today at this very minute. And we, again, this is why history is so important is because we, we see things that happens. We see the outcome of some of these actions that initially appear, I mean, not innocent, but they, they're not so nefarious that they require, you know, war type things, but they, they, they establish the conditions, you know, when a country, when two countries have people that that disagree to such a to such a magnitude that uh, it requires actions. That's that's called war. Well, that same thing is happening within our country. People are being pitted against other people. Uh, you know, there's and and they're using all sorts of different ways to do that. They're using race. They're using vaccine. You know, it's like I, I heard there was a poll that, that said um, that one side of the poll said 40 percent of, of the people uh, polled thought that it would be OK to put unvaccinated citizens in a separate, almost like uh, not a, not necessarily a concentration camp, but kind of a separate area to keep it away from the rest of society. I'm sorry, that is crazy to even think that, especially in light of a lot of the things that we know right now. And, you know, where, what your vaccination status is and what your, uh, where your, your thought process is with uh, the current, you know, the, the virus and all that stuff doesn't matter. The bottom line is, if you have ever reached a point in your mind that it's okay to take normal citizens and put them into concentration camps. I mean, it's the same mentality as what we went through when, you know, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, we started putting Japanese American citizens in these camps. And a lot of them were as patriot as, as you and I, and yet we were putting them in these, in these camps. And, you know, folks, we, we, we have to wake up. We cannot continue down this path the the level of crime and uh the level of uh violence you know today uh in new york city the nypd was mourning the loss of a 22 year old officer and if you if you see the um 
on the news, you see pictures of just thousands and thousands of police officers honoring their fallen brother. And it, that it, it just melts your heart. But one of the primary things during the service was the widow of this young officer that was murdered. And, and he wasn't just murdered. I mean, he wasn't just killed. He was responding to, you know, on a call, he was responding to a domestic dis dispute from what I understand. And he was immediately open fired on. This guy had a Glock pistol with a 50 round drum. And yeah, yeah, you, you have to be pretty serious about your business to have a 50 round drum on a, on a, on a semi-automatic pistol. And the, the body cams showed that this officer wasn't just shot. Once he was down, this guy continued shooting at him and his partner and killed them both. Uh, and this officer died uh, at the scene and his partner died a couple of days later. And it's just the entire story is tragic. But the widow of this officer absolutely tore into some of the politicians that were in attendance that had set the conditions that allowed this to happen. You know, this guy should have never been on the street, let alone uh, be able to own a, own a weapon uh, or be in possession of a weapon. And because this guy had a rap sheet, you know, 30 miles long. And, uh, but he should have never been out of prison. That's the, that's the key to it. And, you know, the, the people that are willing to conduct violence are the ones that have nothing to lose. And if these guys are out on bail and they're going to be heading to prison anyway, then, you know, conducting more crime, what, what's the difference? They're, they're going to be headed off to prison for the rest of their life. So whatever crime they commit, it's not going to, it's not going to make any difference. So, you know, the, the conditions are ripe and folks, we got to wake up. We have got to remember our history and we've got to remember how we get to the, the end stage of, you know, where the real heartache really happens and where the, where just, it, it becomes Holocaust level. You know, we have to, we have to nix the conditions that allow that stuff to happen. And, you know, we do not want gang violence, you know, just open war on our streets. We, we can't have it. So we have to start protecting those that are, that are hired to protect us. And that's our law enforcement. So that's my message for today. Hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, like I said before, definitely go to the YouTube channel and uh, subscribe and give me some feedback on what you think. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.